welcome to another episode of New Discourses Bullets. This is James Lindsay. On this program, I try to take a single topic relevant to the woke Marxist takeover of society and what we can do about it and boil it down to uh, around a 10-minute presentation for you, bullet point format. Today I want to talk about Herbert Marcuse and Herbert Marcuse's world, as I like to rephrase it for myself. Marcuse's world. We all live in Herbert Marcuse's world today. If you don't know who Herbert Marcuse is, we're going to straighten that out. Now, I've only got a few minutes, so I'm not going to go in depth, but Herbert Marcuse was by far the most influential Marxist thinker of the 1950s and 1960s. He was director of the Institute for Social Research, better known as the Frankfurt School, during some of that time. Previous to that, uh, he used his Frankfurt School connections to come over to the United States and was actually embedded in the OSS that preceded the CIA uh, during the fight against the Nazis in World War II. Um, he was probably by far the most influential thinker of the 1950s and 1960s. He's considered the father of the New Left. His books through the 1960s sold hundreds of thousands of copies. His lectures were attended by thousands upon thousands of students. His influence cannot be overstated. And uh, he also was the mentor, the PhD mentor, to the very radical Marxist black feminist by the name of um, Angela Davis, who left the Communist Party USA after saying that it was too conservative for her. And so she was Herbert Marcuse's radicalized ghetto population, as you'll see, that is the right word, uh, student that brought really, in some sense, much of what we're seeing in the world today with critical race theory uh, and and some of the other uh, very radical politics from the left uh, to the to the forefront. She's credited with with all kinds of that influence. She's still active today in um, the prison and police abolition movements and supported Joe Biden uh, for president in 2020. So, uh, but this isn't about Angela Davis. This is about Herbert Marcuse and Marcuse's world. Herbert, Mar we, like I said, we live in Herbert Marcuse's world. If you want to understand why everything is crazy, why there's always a double standard, why everything seems so unfair, why the double standard doesn't matter if you point out that they're hypocrites because it's actually about hierarchy, not hypocrisy. They're exerting their dominance over you by being hypocrites, by the way, and they're proud of it. It's because we live in Herbert Marcuse's world. In fact, Herbert Marcuse had a number of significant works, but I want to mention four of those from the 1950s and 60s to, uh, in the episode today. The first is Repressive Tolerance, which is a long essay written in 1965. The second is the Essay on Liberation, which was a much longer essay written in 1969. Third is Eros and Civilization, a very strange book where he combines Marxism and Freudian psychoanalysis. Um, from 1955, and the fourth is his kind of magnum opus from 1964 called One Dimensional Man. And he has several other important works, but these four are the ones that I want to highlight to show you that we live in Herbert Marcuse's world. So we live in the antinomian, in his own words, world, the clownish, in his own words, world of a neo-Marxist revolution. Uh, in the 19, end of the 1960s, there was an attempt using Marcuse's model and uh, to have a Marx, neo-Marxist revolution. And now uh, with the advent of the woke and the identity politics he also spurred, we find that we are in the midst of one that is uh, partially complete in following his roadmap. So what is repressive tolerance? Repressive tolerance is this belief that, that Marcuse says that we, we talk about having tolerance in free societies, 
being tolerant of other opinions, of other views, of other people, and so on. But in fact, we've designed tolerance to be repressive. It's a Marxification of the idea of tolerance itself. He proposes as an alternative in this essay, liberating tolerance. Um, because we live in a repressive society, he says, that we need to be liberated from, which is means we need to become communist or socialist. Um, he defines it this way. This is the thesis statement of the essay. He writes, liberating tolerance then would mean intolerance against movements from the right and toleration of movements from the left. As to the scope of this tolerance and intolerance, it would extend to the stage of action as well as of discussion and propaganda, of deed as well as of word. And so he's quite explicit about this. Slightly before this in the essay, he discusses the concept of violence, and he explains how revolutionary or left-wing violence should be tolerated and is good, whereas reactionary violence, including self-defense, is always bad. And so there's your explanation for how Kyle Rittenhouse was treated during the riots of 2020, the neo-Marxist riots of 2020, as a matter of fact, uh, using uh, coming out of BLM, which is a uh, racial Marxist front organization that is based off of Herbert Marcuse's exact ideas. If you wonder why certain things are suppressed on social media and through the mass media and other things are promoted, whether it's Hunter Biden's laptop uh, story, whether it's you know conservatives getting struck off of social media for saying that the, the trans women are men, whatever it happens to be, uh, repressive tolerance is your explanation for that. He goes further in the essay to explain, so we've heard about the idea that violence should be tolerated from the left. Well, even with the social media bans we see, even words should not, and discussion should not be tolerated from the right. And then he says that what you must do is that you must withdraw tolerance before the idea can enter the reactionary right-winger's mind. Therefore, he says explicitly, this requires censorship and pre-censorship, and then explains why that's justified. So for him, the left should be tolerated even when they're violent, no matter what their incursion, and the right must be uh, ab have all their tolerance withdrawn from them, including to the point of censorship and pre-censorship, so they can't even think their possible right-wing thoughts. That is the repressive tolerance of the world that we live in today. Yeah, that's 1965. 1969, he writes a longer essay called The Essay on Liberation that begins with an ominous section titled A Biological Foundation for Socialism, in which he says that we have to change man fundamentally in order to achieve socialism. We have to change him at the biological dimension, at the level of his vital needs, so that he can't live without a socialist state providing for him, that he can't figure out how to navigate the world without it. And so I don't want to dwell on that particular aspect of the essay on liberation. It's a very long essay. It has a lot in it. I think one of the most important things, though, that he does in that essay is he points out that the working class has failed Marxist revolutionaries, and they have to find a repository of those vital energies for revolution somewhere else. And he recommends specifically, in his own words, the ghetto population, the racial minorities, the sexual minorities, the feminists, the outsiders, the unemployed, and then cobbling them together with the student movements. The students should be radicalized in colleges. So the, the new left becoming the academic left and the movement into identity politics as a form of identity Marxism, both have their roots in the essay on liberation uh, in some degree. They also appear in One Dimensional Man, as I'll cover in a moment. So essay on liberation is the birth of both the long march into academia by the Marxists and uh, simultaneously 
the shift out of economic class and into the constellation of identity Marxist politics that characterize the woke movement. So that's your essay on liberation. And again, I remind you, it begins with a long treatise on the need to create a biological foundation for socialism by changing man at the level of his very needs, then proceeds to go into saying that we need to achieve that by forcing, by introjecting, he says, a new morality, a new sensibility, a new reckoning with the world for people in order to make sure that they can't live without that new understanding of the world. We live in the logic of these essays. Now, 1955, we go backwards just a little bit to Eros and Civilization. I'm not going to talk much about Eros and Civilization. I just want to point out that the whole point of this is that to get the, res the required energy to have your revolution, Marcuse is advocating here in 1955, before the free love movement that he largely sparked through this book, that what you have to do is release the sexual energy. You need sexual liberation. So all this stuff where we're trying to sexually liberate children and we're continuing to put the pedal to the metal with sexual liberation and all of the the ideas of sexual liberation have ties back to a neo-Marxist thinker who was trying to combine uh, Marx and Freud to, to tap into the idea that his main point being that what Western civilization has done is forced people to transform their libido, their sexual energy, into productive work energy. And if you were to set that free away from productive work energy, then you could actually get them to become revolutionaries who basically want to have orgies all the time and demand it because they are uh, horny, more or less, to put it uh, to a fine point. And so we live in the logic also of Eros and civilization, which isn't even to say that it's just a not mature discussion about human sexuality, whatever, social conservative, social liberal, whatever you happen to be. This is a completely different program. It is the freeing of sexual energy to get people to want to be uh, social revolutionaries who, who are dissatisfied with their lives constantly because they're not getting the wild sex that they want. That's literally the point of the book. And finally, One Dimensional Man, his magnum opus, this book actually covers all of the themes that I've already touched upon. It talks about shifting into the identity politics. It talks about the failure of the working class uh, to be a reservoir of, of, of revolutionary energy. It talks about the need to, um, to shift society into a situation that promotes left ideas because they're revolutionary and suppresses right ideas because they're reactionary. It's, it's a nearly 400-page book. But the reason I want to bring up One Dimensional Man is none of that. I want to bring up One Dimensional Man because it also lays the roadmap that we're headed toward, which is sustainability. Sustainability is the tyranny of the 21st century. By the way, I have podcasts on literally series of podcasts on all of these Marcusean ideas, including sustainability as a tyranny of the 21st century. And I've read through Repressive Tolerance and Essay on Liberation in full here on the New, or on the, on the New Discourses podcast, which is a related podcast I do. Uh, so you can check those out. I have not done podcasts on Eros and civilization specifically yet. But anyway, sustainability is a tyranny of the 21st century. What does he write in this book, uh, One Dimensional Man, about sustainability? Well, he mentions early on in the book, page 51, if I, if I recall correctly, that um, things like social revolution, agrarian reform, so Bill Gates buying up a bunch of farmland, anybody? Uh, social revolution, there's your social justice thing, and reduction of overpopulation would be prerequisites, but not industrialization after the pattern of advanced societies in order to create a new society that he describes as a merger between indigenous society and uh, contemporary, you know, city-based 
advanced society. This is just a recreation, by the way, of John Jacques Rousseau's idea that we're going to uh, synthesize noble, or sorry, the, the savages of the world, and we're going to create savages made to live in cities because he hated society and order. But he goes on near the end of this book, Marcuse does, to say, a new standard of living adapted to the pacification of existence also presupposes reduction in the future population. It is understandable, even reasonable, that industrial civilization considers legitimate the slaughter of millions of people in war, and the daily sacrifices of all those who have no adequate care and protection, but discovers its moral and religious scruples if it is the question of avoiding the production of more life in a society which is still geared to the planned annihilation of life in the national interest, and to the unplanned deprivation of life on behalf of private interests. In other words, we're all about making more life if we're going to send people off to war and destroy the planet, but we uh, are, you know, uh, against the idea of of uh, a kind of a, a pacification of existence, a better life, etc. He says, in fact, the requirements of profitable mass productions are, are not necessarily identical with those of mankind. So we're going to have to get into a new kind of world, a socialist world. He says the problem is not only and perhaps not even primarily that of adequately feeding and caring for the growing population. It is first a problem of number, of mere quantity. And so he goes on from there, in fact, to say the crime is that of a society in which the growing population aggravates the struggle for existence in the face of its uh, possible alleviation. The drive for more living space operates not only in international aggressiveness, but also within the nation. Blah, 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 blah. He goes on and on and on discussing about why we need to be concentrated into to pod-like cities, for example, that we need to um, figure out a new sustainable model for the economy. You get the idea of this so-called circular economy that you hear from the, the Davos set, the World Economic Forum and so on, has all of its roots right here in Herbert Marcuse. So in One Dimensional Man. So I, I went over my 12 minute hard stop by two minutes so far, so I didn't realize I was there. I really get into Herbert Marcuse. You have to understand we live in Herbert Marcuse's world. I apologize for going over. Uh, I'll, I'll try to keep it shorter next time. Thank you. <laughs>